0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dina Varley, founder and CEO of Project Purple and the host of the Project Purple Podcast. We have another interview coming up for you with a very special guest after a few quick updates. We have already had our best year ever. We broke a record already.
1: Amazing.
0: I know it's it's crazy, right? I mean, good things happen to uh, to those who work hard and good people.
1: That's
0: so right. It's just... Uh, It's just so humbling that, you know, the last two years coming out of COVID, we just had such remarkable years. And Mm -hmm. I just want to thank everyone who has supported, donated, or participated in a Project Purple event in 2023 to make it our best year ever. Many of our spring 24 teams, this is wild when we say this, are already full. Um, So we do have some teams available in our COFAX marathon, half and relay Teams, they'll be back, uh, back in Denver. And exciting news that we announced not too long ago was that we became. Uh, official charity partner of the Boston Marathon. Once again, first time since 2018, which now makes us an official charity partner of the five largest world marathons um, in the world, which is just wild, just wild to say that. Um, There's not too many charities that are official charity partners of the five largest world marathons, and we're one of them. We're in a very small uh, group of charities that uh, have that designation. Um, We also will be launching our... Uh, virtual events for 2024 very soon as we come to the end of the year. Uh, So many exciting things that are happening um, still here in 2023. And then as we launch our 2024 events, teams, um, and so many great things that we're doing for our community locally here in Connecticut and all over the country. To learn more about all these great events, visit our website at projectpurple.org and make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date on all things Project Purple. Without further ado, let's meet our special guest coming to us all the way from Virginia, pancreatic cancer survivor, Summer DeCost. Summer, welcome to the Project Purple podcast.
2: Hi, Nito. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here and share today.
0: Well, the honors are all ours as we were... Kind of getting to know each other. Um, you come to us from a from a good friend of ours, a former guest that's been on the podcast, Kit Rudd. To give Kit a little shout out, I know he's been spending a lot of time in New York City, working on uh, you know getting better and healthier on a couple clinical trials and a couple other things that he's been doing with some teams there in New York. So uh, it's just a small world, as I always say. As big as the universe may seem. Uh, we're all somewhat connected in in our own special way through, you know, relationships and people that have come into our lives uh, at various points in time.
2: Definitely, definitely. Well, Kit actually, Kit and I met each other at a, you know, a function and um, he has been a big encouragement to me and a big inspiration. So I'm glad to be here. He was so happy with doing your podcast, I think in this last year. And yes, he's doing really well right now. So I'm really thankful for, for good news for him as he goes through his treatments.
0: You know, and, and you just say something that's so powerful, you know, and I mean, I think this community, I think when, and and this is what I know we were talking before we hit record here, you know, Mm -hmm. and why we do this podcast and, and you think about like there's so many people that are getting diagnosed with disease, but there's hope and optimism, right? Um, by sharing these stories on this podcast and and you bring up, you know, Kit and, you know, his journey. And he's been a big inspiration for our community and for the community at large, you know, with pancreatic cancer. And so that's what always gets me excited about this podcast. Um you know, is that we're able to do that. Like we're able to amplify the message of survival um, with this disease. I think oftentimes, um, you know, people don't see that. And I think this is such a critical piece as we were talking before we hit record about these journeys. Um, And, you know, someone, a previous guest, I, I don't know if it's aired yet, she didn't even call it a journey. She's like episode. And I was like, oh yeah, that's that's pretty powerful, you know, to use a, use the term episode versus a journey. And um, you know, I, I just think, you know, people reaching out to us now, um, that are going through this and wanting to share those episodes and that time that, you know, they're they're going through this is just so, so powerful. Um, and so inspiring, not only for us, but like I said, for for the community at large. So with that, as is customary summer, our, our first segment here on the podcast is always a guest opportunity to kind of share that episode or share their experiences, how they got here to the podcast today. I know you tease it a little bit here, you know, knowing Kit and having met him at an event and stuff like that, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper. And I always say, as I said, before we record, it's up to you. If you want to stay as high level or if you want to get into the weeds, uh, we'll go ahead and do that. So with that, the microphone is yours to, uh, to share your experience and, and how you got here today.
2: Well, thank you again. Um, just for the opportunity to talk to people about this. Um, my name is Summer DeCost and I am a native Texan just like Kit. And I didn't know that until your podcast either. So that was that was kind of a win-win for me. Um no, but I, I just I really admire him, like I said, and just he um encourages me to share a little bit more because, uh, I'm usually more one-on-one than I am like this. And so this is a good opportunity for me to grow a little bit more today and, um, and maybe share a little bit more about what, what, uh, pancreatic cancer is in my life. And that is, um, in 2018, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, what happened was, uh, I was not the health person in the world at that time. Um, I didn't really take care of myself uh, as far as I was one of those just running around grabbing whatever it was to eat. Um, I used to sell wine and spirits. I certainly was in that world for you know a while and enjoy that so much. Um, didn't consider myself an alcoholic but I but I did love to drink wine. That was not even a question. And so, um, there was one day, uh, my husband traveled quite a bit for work. He was gone every two weeks, pretty much of every month. And I woke up one morning and I had been not, not well for a while. And when I say a while, I don't know how long that was. (laughs) I just know it was a while, um, where I would wake up and just not feel so great. And then throughout the day I would have, you know, just indigestion felt like, Um, nothing serious, but I just thought, uh, I need to change my diet or I need to do something different is what my mind was going to not, I was sick, you know, or there was a problem. And so I, um, waited until it got so bad that my back was a big issue. I'm right in the middle of my back. And I decided that morning, well, I'm going to call my doctor. I had a primary care doctor that I'd seen for 20 years And I called and I thought, well, for sure, I won't get an appointment. But if I get an appointment today, I'll go in. You know, it was one of those bargaining things things Mm -hmm. that I do with myself. I did not like to go to the doctor. So when I called, um, they said, yeah, she can uh, see you today. We just had a cancellation. And so I had no excuse not to go to the doctor and ended up going in, getting lost, going in. I don't even know what that was about. Other than I just didn't want to go. And so I missed the exit and I called and I thought they would cancel. They said, no, no, she'll hang around. You know what I mean? Like There was no chance I was getting out of that. So when I finally did see her, she gave me a prescription for like a Pepsid, you know, type thing. And I just remember thinking, this is not a Pepsid situation in my mind. My, ba- what about, you know, so I just, I had my hand on the, doorknob to leave the office that day. And I turned around and I looked at her and I said, what about my back? Like this pain in my back, that's indigestion. You know, I mean, that's so weird, you know? And she said, you know, let's do an ultrasound just to make sure. And that's how it ended. Right. Well, I went the next day and had the ultrasound. They were able to get me in the next day. Um, I got a call from her that night and said, I'd like for you to do a CT scan Uh, tomorrow if possible, I went in the next day and had a CT scan and all the while I'm still not thinking there's anything that, you know, it's not serious in my mind. I just thought they're just trying to pinpoint so we can get on with it. Right. Whatever the Mm -hmm. treatment is or whatever I need to do. I don't mean, I just didn't think it was monumental in my mind, but what happened was, um, she called me back and said, can you bring bill, which is my husband can you bring Bill with you um, to the appointment? And I, you know, and she had set up an appointment for me and I said, no, I mean, he's out of town and my in-laws were out of town. Um, And she said, well, can you bring a friend? And I still was not, that was not going off in my head. So I called a friend of mine and I, I said, you know, if you can just drive me there, I don't know that you need to even go in. I don't know what this is about. Well, she took a, recording of the meeting with the doctor. Thank God, because I don't remember any of that. Um, I just remember her saying, you know, pancreatic, you know, and I just, it didn't register with me then. And I was speechless. And we left the office and my friend got my husband and my in-laws on a conference call and she talked to them. And still I had no words other than when she dropped me off at my car to go home, I thought I got to call Bill and talk to him. I don't want him driving home. This sounds serious, you know? Um, and uh, the one thought I had was, do I need a pancreas? I mean, can you live without a pancreas? (laughs) I mean, can they just take it out? What's going on? But, uh, my first inclination, um, is to get online and to look at everything. But I did not do that. Uh, I drove all the way home, which took me about 45 minutes to get home. I turned on the music just for a distraction because I didn't know what I was feeling. And this song by Zach Williams came on and it was a new song that had just been released that day. And it was called fear is a liar. And next thing I know, I'm singing as loud as I can to the chorus of that song, you know, it'll take your, it'll rob you. It'll take, you know, all these things. And I thought, "Uh uh-uh, no, like, we're not going to be afraid of this because whatever this is, you know, it's going to be okay. And so I um, talked to my husband. I said, please don't drive home tonight. I, I don't, if something happened to you, that would be devastating to me, you know? And the same with my in-laws, they were in Florida and, uh, but they had made arrangements. They were going to come home from their trip. And so everybody's back home. Uh, the doctor actually gave me an appointment with a surgeon, um, that was as soon as Bill got home, um, you know, she said, go with him, take him and go and talk to him and see what, you know, what's going on. So they, of course, scheduled some tests, some more tests at the surgeon's office. Um, and after that testing process had gone on, the Dr. White, who was my surgeon, he said, um, you know, from the looks of everything, it's borderline resectable. And uh, so I, he said, you know, we have a clinical trial that's happening right now. You may want to look into that first. And so I went to the oncologist and talked to her about that. And it was a chemo versus chemo clinical trial. And it was with the uh, Florinox. And, you know, I had to wear the pack home, the FE pack. you know, afterwards where you come home for three days. I think it was three days. And now that I'm thinking about it, it was two or three days that I had that at home. And then went back up for my, you know, every other week for treatments. And um, that was really hard. <laughs> I'm not going to lie about that. That was that was really hard. Um, but the good news was after the first treatment, um, the first treatment, I think, was it was a lot of things. But I just kept thinking this is medication that's going in my body that's marching that other stuff out of my body. So my mindset was, this is a process of elimination, like getting that out of there. So we do whatever we have to do and had a lot of people praying for me, which I'm so thankful for because I was having a difficult time praying in the general sense that I usually would pray um, like a more formal type prayer. It became a, not a, um, dear God moment like this. It became a, thank you so much for being here with me Mm -hmm. more than anything else. Um, I was not alone in this, um, treatment. I remember the first night before my first treatment, um, I was having, like I said, I was having a hard time praying in the, in the uh, formal sense, but I would just talk to God by myself like I was having a conversation like you and I are having right now like he's sitting right here with me which was a different thing for me at that time and the next morning I woke up and I was just saying you know I know that you're here um, because different scriptures were coming up to me at just the right time like you know don't be anxious and you know, um, cast your cares. Right. And in this world, we will have trouble, but I've overcome the world. I mean, he's done that. So that's who's with me. So we can get through this, whatever this is. Right. And, uh, so I wake up the next morning, I think I was halfway awake and I remembered seeing my, I know this is going to sound so woo woo and so crazy because, um, yeah, it just is, (laughs) But I, my mother passed away in 1991 from ovarian cancer and I was in my early twenties. Right. It's been a long time since I have seen my mother's face or heard her voice, you know, cause I'm what, well, I know how old I am now, but at the time I was what 51 years old and that's how old she was when she passed away. But I saw her face. I remember her looking at me and I felt her hands on my face And she said, not yet summer. And I don't know at the time, I didn't know, you know, I just thought that was the best moment ever in my life that I could hear her voice again. And, and then words like that, like not yet, I don't know what that means. Not yet. And, um, we continued on with the treatment and, um, the numbers were getting better thankfully. And, um, and I was allowed to have the um, was approved for the Whipple procedure after going through you know the the treatments for the clinical trial. And then the Whipple, so um, I'm approved now for Whipple procedure, and I don't know that I really felt the gravity of the situation because I still had not googled anything. <laughs> but someone said to me what the chances of survival were when I was at the hospital and I remember I got home and I that's when I lost it. I broke down and started crying. And, um, I looked at my husband and I said, they said, there's like, it's a 9% chance to live. You know, my husband said, that's nine, you know, <laughs> grab on to nine. What are you talking about? That's what we're going for. Nine. And so that became a big deal to us. And he would remind me all the time, you know, I had such nausea, that kind of, and I really, I had lost 70 pounds. I was the heaviest I'd ever been at the time. Uh, You know, they say that you, some of the, some of the uh, symptoms are you lose weight or, you know, you, well, I had gained weight before all that. So I was at the heaviest I'd ever weighed. And thank God, I guess, because here I'd lost 70 pounds. I was down to like 125 Mm. Um, and you know, not that I couldn't have stood to lose weight, by the way, I'm just saying, (laughs) you know, but, um, but that happened. So I was really weak and, uh, going into this surgery, I had no muscle mass, you know, just really because I was leaning into just the process of letting, letting this happen. What, what is, you know, what do I need to do? So my mind was what I was focused on my thoughts, you know, um, I had to have that serious talk with my husband, what if, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we did have that conversation. Um, and the good part about that, is to me anyway was it just affirm my faith to me what I believe in and I even had to question that you know do I really believe in God I mean that came up several times with me like uh, really would this happen but it came down to my test my faith has been tested so much in the past that I know that that this is the real deal and that God is real and so um, cemented in that was my foundation. So I knew that I could, you know, like I said, with him, I could do anything and that no matter what happened, I was going to be okay. Whether I am here or I'm not here, I'm going to be okay. Right. And so then the pressure was off. It felt like I'm just, I'm going to do what. And so we went on with the Whipple procedure And that was, um, July the 20th, 2018. And it turned out to be a 14 hour procedure actually. And, uh, I remember coming out of the surgery and seeing my surgeon on one side, my husband on the other side and saying, I know you guys, you know I mean? It was just so good to wake up. So good to see them not even caring what has just happened. And ended up, you know, staying in the hospital for about a week, I believe it was. Had some problems, um, some uh, problems like um, some dumping issues, nausea, Mm -hmm. all of that, where I was losing weight again. And I couldn't really stand to lose weight at that time. Um, So they did all kinds of things. I mean, all kinds of things. I was in and out of the hospital from probably September until the end of January, where I was more in the hospital than I was at home because of that. And because I was in this clinical trial, I was supposed to go back into um, chemotherapy afterwards, but I was too sick to do that. And so uh, I didn't ever have... I did not have and I still have not had chemo after or, you know, anything like that afterwards. It has been now five years um, since then, thankfully. And I um, I am, you know, as well as well can be. You know what I mean? Everything yeah. is manageable. Um, I still take enzymes, you know, uh, I'm, and that's that's my mainstay. I also, um, I also have done some things for, I was in palliative care as well. And my palliative care doctor was amazing. Um, and she recommended a bunch of different books for me to, to read, which were so helpful. And also which formed, you know, this group of people that I meet with every week now, where we talk about, we talk, I mean, we learn together every week. Um, That's made such a big difference in my life. And she also recommended, I was nervous about this coming back because I did talk to a bunch of people about this. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, anybody I could talk to, like you said, you want to hear from other people, what their experience is and how long, and, you know, um, so that was important to me to reconnect that way too, however I could. But, um, I've had some liver issues, you know, as far as but we're, you know, that's getting better with my diet and, um, and just, you know, staying on top of that. But other than that, um, I really have not. And I did have a feeding tube for a mm. while after that because of that. For um, the, the weight
1: gain. To,
2: yeah, had that for about uh, I think it was six or eight months. I can't remember exactly. Um, but it was, you know, I had some really good nurses that while I was in the hospital and going through that, they reminded me, look, you can eat with this. You don't have to, and don't stop eating with this when you have a tube like this, because you don't want to like get out of the natural rhythm of eating something, you know, and I was really glad to have people like that around me that helped me so much, uh, nutritionists that, you know, really kind of helped me make sure that I'm eating enough, you know, because I really wanted to make sure just to get things into my body. Cause I knew from other people's experiences that that was a hard thing. And I still have issues with that today, but, uh, but I am diligent about making sure that I eat, you know, small things throughout the day. And I love that you're doing that program too, for, I mean, that, I think that's, I don't know, diet is discounted so much. And I think it's such a big part of this whole process. Um, because if you haven't been taking care of yourself, you don't really know what is good for you, you know? So, or what, what would be something that you might be interested in eating when you're going through something like that? You know, Um, it does make a difference, but that's in general, that's my, you know, my story with where I am. I am this year we have been celebrating and we were going to celebrate actually after a year two, when, when I was kind of well enough to celebrate yeah. with everybody, and then COVID happened. And so uh, my was able to put that off, you know, just kind of postpone that for a little mm-hmm. bit. And um, now we just turn it into a, I don't want to, it's not a party necessarily, but it's those weekly groups with, with the people that I am learning with every week that really make a difference in my life moving forward. And my mindset on, you know, whatever comes today, we're going to do this. We can do this with, with the right mindset. Right. So, I mean, I, I just have a lot of hope for, you know, each day moving forward that way, instead of like waiting for the ball to drop behind me, And I did do, um, that's what I was going to say about the palliative care. She also recommended EMDR therapy. And I did that. I did three different sessions with that. And that really did seem to help me because I wasn't regurgitating everything to someone all over again. It really did just help me get my mind in the right place, um, to say, wait, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not going to dwell on what could happen, Because what if it never does? I'm going to spend the rest of my life worried about this, you know? So, um, so I'm thankful for, for the support groups and for the people, and that's not necessarily, that particular group is not necessarily a pancreatic cancer or even a cancer support group. It's just a group of people that, um, that know that, well, one book that we're doing right now, which I love, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, connected to goodness by David Meltzer. That's the book that we're doing right now, and um, it's amazing. And I highly recommend that to anybody who's. In fact, the tagline on his book is something like: "Make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun." That's what I want to do. <laughs> Period. You know, that's, that's pretty. When I, uh, like, <laughs> when I say make a lot of money, I mean you know we're all trying to do something right. Everybody either making money for your family, making money to help other people, whatever. It's just, it's a good book in life and in business period. It works both ways. And so that's, that's where we are with that. And, and I, and I just enjoy that process of uh, learning and being able to help other people that way as well.
0: So. It's powerful. Uh, You know, the, the one thing you say about money, like you, you, you know, I always say, like, our mission of a world without pancreatic cancer, as noble of a cause that is, and Mm -hmm. as great as a cause that is, can't be done without money. (laughs) Like, people think, like, oh, you're a charity, get everything for free, or you do this, you do that. I, I, yeah, but it all, nobody here works for free. Um... And, and and i'm i'm going to i say this often on the podcast i stay i worry about us like what we do i don't talk about other groups because i'm not there and you know we worry about us but it, the the world there's not many people in the world that work for free <laughs> you know like so like at the end of the day like you know that's so spot on i mean it's not selfish i at least people listening be like oh they're talking about money they make money like Yeah, but hey, man, this is the world we live in, man. Like, and and whether you're in Russia, and I'm just using that because it's the other side of the world. But like, okay, Mm -hmm. like if you're in southern South Africa, you're in Europe, you're in uh, the U.S., you're in Mexico, Canada. Like, the list goes on and on. If you don't have money, like, there's very little that you can do. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Well, I mean, even in that in that book that I was telling you about, connected to goodness. He one of the very best examples that he gives, I think, is he talks about St. Jude's, right? And that is that's a hospital where they pay for everything, right, for these children. Well, when Danny Thomas started that organization, I know this isn't really my pancreatic cancer story, but this is no, but it's a good point. It's really really important when it comes to raising money for organizations that help people with pancreatic cancer, and that is Danny Thomas started that when he was a comedian you know young guy and he heard that 97 percent of the children that went into that hospital with leukemia were dying Mm -hmm. so that's where his heart was he was like no not on my watch you know he would get on a plane and ask them to commandeer the i can't even think the microphone i guess microphone yeah my name is danny thomas I want to save children for, you know, he would do his, and then he would take his hat and collect money on the plane, you know? And then on top of that, the fact that, you know, it's such a prime example of what this, what that, what David Meltzer was trying to say in his book. And that is that that organization is at the tip top. And what I mean by that is, They are coming up with, you know, they have um, research and trials and all kinds of things going on and everything. And of course that costs money to do that, but they have all these things going on. But instead of selling the information that they gain from all this, this research, they give it away because they just want answers. Right. And so um, really when you're putting your money into an organization like that, you know what you're getting. You're getting an organization that wants to find the cure for blank, whatever that is. And on the other side of it, you've got these families that benefit as well. And then in turn, they turn around and they are going to be proud supporters of yours as well. in whatever Mm -hmm. function and and, you know, whether that's speaking about them or giving them money. So in all, it's the perfect formula for helping other people making a lot of money and you know having a lot of fun you know whatever you consider that to be it really does support the idea of you know it's kind of changed my mind in the way that i ask you know whenever i present the idea of you know would you like to support us and whatever that is whatever yeah. whatever organization that is it's not easy to ask people for money you don't want to always be doing that um so we're trying to come up with like i love the idea that you're doing the rate, you know, the, the marathons. I mean that's amazing. And I think that, you know, that helps a lot of people in a lot of ways gets a lot of exposure and maybe people will start asking the question about pancreatic cancer and having that conversation and you don't know where that leads and that's the power of it, you know. Absolutely. And it's great that more people hear about it early enough, you know, that they can get the help that they need faster.
0: Well, I I think, you know, and I want to bring this back to your story here, you know, hopefully sharing, you know, your story here and and having that intuition as you walk to the door and open the door and go, wait a minute, what about my back is so powerful. And I I think one of the things we society as a whole goes down the doctor trap in the sense that doctors are know-it-alls. I'm not trying to be like rude. Um but we're not supposed to ask questions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Or we're not supposed to as I used I like to use the term self-advocate. You know, and you're not supposed to do that. So when you look back, I mean, hindsight's always 2020. 20. I know this started in 18 and you did say, "Hey, you didn't really you weren't a healthy person." Mm-hmm. Um were there other Times in your life where you go, oh man, like my back was bothering me for like that like little stint, and maybe you just blamed it on not being a healthy person or um you know, something else along the ways of, you know, I mean the the signs and symptoms are so vague as we know, right? Like, I mean, you know, lower back pain to your point, like could be anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean I I also want to say this too though, some are like not being a healthy person. That's a lot. And, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. That's a, that's a large part of our population. I mean, like, that's not something that I think is as uncommon as it was 20, 30 years ago. I mean, unfortunately now, like with, with lifestyle, with work, with just what's available to eat, it, it's hard. It's really difficult sometimes to, to, to make healthy food choices because of lifestyle or because of what's going on or or what's presented in front of you. Now mm. the, 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 the flip side of that is like, yeah, you you can do it, but it is like difficult, right? Like, I mean, any small town USA probably has a McDonald's, One say McDonald's is the most nutritious food for anyone um, from a nutritional standpoint. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess you can get like a salad, um, but, you know, where's your protein coming from, you know, and and there's been plenty of reports on, you know, the, the, the slime chicken or whatever that is. And, you know, the chicken, the quality of the chicken, you know, so it, it, it's not as easy, I think, anymore to, to really eat healthy. So I, I want to take us, st- I want to, I want you to kind of, I just want to mention that because you mentioned, yeah, you weren't a healthy person. And I, I think that's just really hard right now. And I mean, it, it, not to beat yourself up, but to go back to the question, you know, was there a time previous to 2018, again, hindsight being 2020, that something was, something wasn't right, but it, it the yeah, ship kind of I mean, righted itself, I guess at some point. Oh
2: no, I mean, for sure. There was all there. I just didn't feel good in general you know, overall, I just did not feel well. And um, I I really, this is crazy. But my when my mother passed away, I just in the back of my mind, and you know, you can manifest good as well as you can manifest bad, in my opinion. I mean, in my experience, I'll say that. Because I in my mind thought, this is how I'm gonna die. This is probably how I will die, you know, and I, I carried that in my head for I don't even know how long. And my mother had ovarian cancer. It wasn't pancreatic cancer, but it was cancer, you know, and why I, why I carried that for so long, I don't know. But, um, other than I didn't, I didn't grieve very well. I think that's, I think that's critical in my humble opinion that, There is a process to grieving and I didn't know that really. And I was, like I said, I was in my twenties at the time and I took off on a, well, my husband calls our situations adventures, you know, (laughs) the different things that happen. I mean, like the cancer was an adventure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything is because. If he approaches it that way. And then, you know, we know that when we go on something like that, little things are going to happen, but you can get around it, right. You can mm-hmm. figure it out. You're going to get back on course, whatever that is. And so, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with not dealing with things that I should have dealt with a long time ago. I'm not blaming it totally on that, but yeah, it's easy to get caught up in, um, in missing someone so much that you neglect your life. And I mean, that means eating, eating, period, not just even eating right, but just taking care of yourself. That's fuel. Food is fuel. That's what I'm learning <laughs> at my old age. Fuel is food and you use it that way. You use it appropriately. I get excited when I, you know, have a steak, like a small something if I have that, but I don't really eat. I don't eat as much red meat as I used to. Um, mm-hmm. my mom was big on don't eat processed fe- foods. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to, you know, as much as I can, you know, I stay away from it. My husband's got some things going on I'm the cook in the house. So, you know, um, so I do have control over that now. Um, uh, but at the time I did not and coming home from work and having a glass or two of wine, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, At that time now, you know, as soon as I got diagnosed, it was like, I, I didn't, I didn't even think about alcohol. I mean, it wasn't my go-to at all. Um, I didn't think about, I I did think about what, you know, what can I eat that's not going to make me just feel down for the count. So, um, I will say that it was an awakening for sure, you know, when I was diagnosed to just kind of sit back. And like I said, I didn't Google a thing. I still, I mean, I didn't until afterwards till after everything was over. Why did is I start? That? grace of God, because I'm usually the one that, you know, that does look at everything. I have had all the time in the world to be able to, you know, look all of that up. Even I, and I've thought about that since then, you know, there, there is such a thing as, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit's protection. Mm-hmm. Again, sounds a little woo woo to a lot of people, but um in my experience, that's what saved me from myself because had I looked online and seen the statistics and everything. I don't know. I know I would have been discouraged. I would have been really upset, but I think that the good news is, you know, need to for, for me anyway. I needed to follow that intuition, you know, and, and I felt like I was being led because I didn't run around looking for a place to help me. It was, she handed me the thing for the surgeon I went to him and it went from there. There was no time to be running around looking for this and that, but I'm glad that there are resources out there to help people. You know, now I'm glad to know about other organizations, you know, that can help people like yours, like with the food services and everything. And, and, you know, with some of the others with, you know, finding a clinical trial, you know, those kinds of things that, that all matters.
0: So, I got a question for you that comes up. You mentioned your mom died of ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. 2018 was kind of this weird time frame um, because that was kind of right around, like, I think when genetics were starting to become a big part of this. Ovarian is linked to the BRCA gene along with breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, melanoma, prostate, colon cancer. So- Mm -hmm. Have you ever done any genetic testing? Because I'm sure we bring that up often on our podcast, and I'm sure audience listening or watching is going, "Huh? There's there's that link." You know, like when we hear family members with these similar cancers, I think now like we're so you know we're, we're so ingrained that like boom, oh, it's genetics, it's genetics, it's genetics. Or is there a genetic? Or the question is, is there a genetics piece because of these cancers that we know are linked?
2: And believe it or not, it is not for
0: me. So you Uh, did genetic, they did genetic testing and it came back negative. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So Um, I mean,
2: yeah, yeah, they just said, you know, environmental this and that. And I just, you know, again, I go back to, okay, well, if it's environmental, where was I, what was I doing? And so it all, to me, um, it, it is, I mean, this is, I don't know. I know that there are certain things that I've done in my life that have not done me any favors. Okay, <laughs> I think most of us have. All right, you know yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. And so um, I don't blame you know everything on genetics. I can blame some things on myself. I can say, yeah. hey, wait a minute, there are some things that I can do, you know, at least to maintain where I am right now, and then some and get better. I mean, I, I I certainly have other areas in my life that I can. It, Certainly physically I could use some help, but everything else, you know, has come to, uh, I feel good about every other area. When, and when I saw your podcast, I was like, Oh now these are runners. And you know, I have nothing, and, but you know, even, even then like just walking is beneficial. It's helpful. Um, you know, getting up and getting around is beneficial, helpful. Um, those are all good things to be doing Um, but I I do think, you know, it, it does cause you to kind of step in and I call it the awakening really, because it really opened my eyes to a lot of things that were, you know, that I was doing that I think, you know, I don't, do I really need that in my life? You know, um, is this something that I can cut out? And I will say like, for example, the alcohol, I mentioned that earlier, I love wine. I've, I've always, you know. I've just always loved that industry too. I think it's interesting and there's um it's just been in my life for a long time. But um I wasn't actively doing it then as far as an occupation is concerned. And I don't really need it now. So I mean there there's the occasion where we'll go out to dinner with a group or something and I might have a glass of wine with everybody else, but nine times out of 10, it's half full when I leave the, the glass that they poured for me because mm-hmm. I just get no benefits from it anymore. Yeah. Um, and when I was drink, I didn't. It's funny that you said that. When I was drinking before, I noticed that everybody else could have more than I could. And I would turn, well, I'm obviously, I would turn beet red, you know, whenever I have any wine, like all of a sudden I just start getting... And I mean, it, there's no, no masquerading, whatever. Happened. So, I mean, my whole, I was red everywhere, splotchy, red, yeah. just ugly, but the, um, but I, my body was not taking it. Then it was giving me signs then that, Hey, you know, like something's up, a good yeah. thing. Yeah. So
0: it's interesting. Um, I want to talk a bit, I got a couple questions here and then we're going to give, uh, a chance for you to where our audience can connect with you. Okay. And I've always said on this podcast, um, we go in, in so many, we, we can go down so many, I not rabbit holes, I guess. Well, we call them rabbit holes. I know people sometimes feel very guarded sometimes about certain subjects. And one of them is faith. And I love that you talked so much about your faith on this podcast. I was born and raised in a Roman Catholic, um, Family was going to church every day for probably the the twenty years of my life. Uh, every Sunday, every holiday, um, you know, we were at church, right? Um, and then when I went to college, um, I still continued that tradition, and then I stopped going. And just because I don't go to church every Sunday. I always feel like that doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change my belief in God. It doesn't change my belief in my faith. Um, but it is who I am, right? And you can't you can't really get away from that. Um, but oftentimes we hear, and I, I I love it when people talk about their faith because there's some similarities somewhere that I've seen. As I mentioned, we've been doing this podcast for over six years, and there's like. Things that I, we hear from survivors that get them through these adventures, episodes, or journeys, and mm-hmm. faith is this common thing that we hear time and time again. Now, I'm not here to to say like, "Hey, you got to be Roman Catholic." I was just raised that way. That was a decision that my parents made. I didn't make it. You know, I mm-hmm. guess I could have changed when I was in my 20s and and followed a different faith. Um, but I stuck with it. And so I want to kind of talk a little bit about that because you mentioned that a lot, um, which is a great thing. Um, I always say, like you were saying, Hey, you're going to think I'm crazy. I'm having these conversations with God, but that's just so powerful to me. And I know from, you know, like, especially, okay. Let's break this down. What's happening right now in the world? Like, we can't talk about faith, right? Like, if you're if you're Islam, you're bad. If you're, you know, you can't talk about Judea, you know, Jew, Jewish faith, Roman Catholic. Like, it, you know, it's like faith has become this very taboo subject. Not that I want to go down that rabbit hole and why that is. Like, we can't, like, you know, you can't even you know, it got taken out of the schools. I don't even know when, like, you know, like, you know, the whole thing about schools and faith, like, it's just like, it's, it's illegal to do, I guess. I don't know. So, but yeah. to me, it's so important though, right? Like it's such an important piece to people. And especially when you go through times of adversity, like there's like people that, and you're a prime example of that. Like you face this horrible, horrible thing but your faith was so strong and you even brought up like that Google question, like, Hey, divine intervention, like faith, like I just wasn't going to go there. So where does that, I guess my question is, as I ranted here on faith here, two minutes, uh, where did that come from? Were you, were you young, your mom, um, family influence your husband? Like where did that, that deeply rooted faith come into?
2: Yeah, that, that was definitely for my mom and dad you know, the way that we, I mean, we went to, we went to church every time the doors were open when I was growing up, you know, I mean, it was 30 minutes from our house and my parents worked full time, but it was every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And if they had something going on, we were there, you know, did every wedding, every bridal shower, all that kind of stuff. Mm. But it wasn't until, um, a few years before. Well, that's not even true, but, um, I'll just give you an example. When I was in New York, I'm selling wine. I walked into a restaurant where they had called me and said, can you come? We have a dinner this week and we need you to help us select the wines. I'm like, sure. So I got dressed, drove out there. This is in long Island, right? Drove out there, um, presented some different wines and everything. And all of a sudden these guys come in like six men walk into the restaurant. Right. And I thought, they were so handsome. Really, you know, just they looked sun-kissed. They had on these white crisp shirts. And I mean, just who are they, you know? (laughs) Well, it turned out that two months later from that date, I married one of the guys in that group, by the way. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And about two weeks before that, I had made myself a list of like pros and, you know, things I really... And deal breakers, this is not what I want. And I mean, I was praying over this list going, God, if there is a man out there like this, please, you know, anyway. So we got married. It's been 24 years later, fast forward. So when I say that, you know, like certain things, your your faith has been tested and you kind of look back yeah. on things and you're like, there is no way that was supposed to be 24 years, you know? Yeah. I mean, if anything, but I knew when I met him, I I had a clear idea of what I felt like God would want me, you know, the kind of man that God would want in my life. So that's just, that's one example of how I feel like, um, every time I look at Bill, I feel that way, you know, that we're supposed to be together and, and he is such a huge support to me. And like I said, sometimes it was moment to moment. But for the most part, he would say, you know, just, just do today, every morning, just today. We're not going to worry about tomorrow. We're just going to worry about today because God's got, you know, you've heard like, consider the, consider the sparrows, consider the flowers, like God takes Mm -hmm. care of them. What are you worried about kind of deal? And so sometimes it was just take care of yourself this hour you know, because I couldn't maintain, I just thought if I live another hour, you know, I mean, there were times that I thought this is it, you know? Um, but it was a couple of years before my diagnosis, I started really questioning, what do I really believe in? Am I just pleasing these people, mm-hmm. you know, and just doing stuff for people or what is this all about? And so I, had a group of women at, and it was a church I didn't go to. (laughs) This is even crazier. I went to their women's group. I didn't even go to their church. I just liked the women at their, you know, in this group. So I would just meet them there, you know, once a week and we would study together and they happen to be studying that book battlefield of the mind by Joyce Meyer, another great book that is one of those where, you know, we can just let our minds go completely crazy or, you know, what is it for? How do I use this in the best possible way? And so uh, we did that. But it wasn't until after I had the diagnosis, my mother-in-law, who is amazing, and she's a retired RN. So what I didn't know, she knew. I felt like that was taken care of. And I not that I was totally reliant on her, but I was thankfully reliant on her. <laughs> that she knew what the doctors were talking about. And then my husband, um, prior to now was a paramedic. And so, you know, he knew enough for both of us as well. So I felt like I had a good, strong core around me and even asking like the surgeon, you know, what would you tell your mother or your aunt? Like, what are we doing? (laughs) You know, tell me, tell me what you would tell them to do. But I had a good, strong group like that around me. So I didn't, I didn't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. And um and again, you know, that's the only explanation I have for not looking anything up is because I was in that moment not saying that I wasn't you know, I was scared. You know, I there were those moments, maybe I was in more shock, but I was scared for a moment like what does this mean? But I almost if you looked it up and you saw it for yourself and I knew I was by myself at home. I mean, at least physically by myself at home, but it was after I hung phone with Bill that I could have done that, but I didn't even, it wasn't a choice in my mind at that time. The choice in my mind was to just be thankful that Bill wasn't driving that night home and I didn't have to worry about him and to be thankful for the moments that, like he wants to come home and that my in-laws are are wanting to be here with me. I mean mm-hmm. to me that's where I was that night it was like that I have that you know and that to me that was just another another um just a supporting role in that whole you know you're not alone in this summer you don't have to do this all by yourself and I did learn a lot about meditation while I was in the hospital and I did do, uh, I, I'm an artist. And so um, while I was in the hospital, this was something else. And I feel like this is another thing that, you know, God gives us all these tips, these, these gifts, right? And if you don't lose it, it just goes away. Mm-hmm. What's the point? And so that was another, another stroke from God was, that Bill brought my art supplies up to the hospital whenever I was in the hospital. And I would sketch, I would ask the nurses if I could take a picture of them and then I would sketch. That was my meditation because I, I had no cares in the world as long as I was doing that. And then I would just give it to them. Like after, you know, if they weren't there, when I was finished, I would give it to one of the nurses at the station to give to them or whatever. But to me, that was, that was kind of like a gift from God to be passed on. And it's not just for me. This is for them to know that, like, look how beautiful you are. You know, you're not just a nurse. I see you in a totally different way. Yeah. And so I was surrounded by love and joy during that process. And that's God. And so people want to, like, people want to complicate God. And it says God is love. hmm That's all you need to know. And that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. I mean, to die for us. And so we think, you know, why is God doing all this stuff? God went through it too. His -hmm. son died on the cross. He sacrificed his son for my sins. And so, um, so that someone or that he loves me that much, um, I didn't feel even sometimes worthy to pray to him other than to say, then to have a conversation with him while he was there, you know, in the room with me because he is, he's everywhere. And so I base all my decisions on what God says and what he thinks about me. And, uh and I think everybody has that, that choice to make whether you, you know, want to, want to look into that a little bit further or not. Like my ears are always open to listen to anybody that has their doubts or whatever. I'm not trying to prove to anybody, anything other than to share my experience with, uh, you know, that relationship with him. And I think that that carried me literally carried me through everything that I've been through. You know, I think it's, I just think it's important to, um, to spend some time with him every day. That's the first thing in the morning. And that just helps me throughout the entire day to know that you're not alone. So
0: It's powerful. Second to last question here. Um, and these next two, there's no right or wrong. I always say um, they're kind of loaded, but um, in a good way, because there's no right or wrong to it. It's, it's what you've experienced what's some of the best advice you would give to someone listening or watching on the other side that just has been recently diagnosed and you just gave a a great talk about faith and how important faith is to have during a journey like this but is there anything else that you would kind of add in terms of advice
2: well i understand that you would be scared i do um but I also understand that there, and, you know, I I don't want to even discount the mental health part of it either. Mm-hmm. I think that that's important. <laughs> I did have a doctor for for that as well. Thank God. Um, because, you know, the the mind is a battlefield. Our minds can end our lives before our lives are over, <laughs> you know, so a thought is a real thing. So, whatever you're thinking can become a reality. Um, And I think that, you know, just do today is important too. Don't get ahead of yourself. Everybody's going to, you know, will gaslight you and say, you know, you need to be doing this, that, and the other. And I think um, if you have faith um, and you ask God to, you know, provide that path for you, he will you have to do a little legwork, by the way, (laughs) you know, it doesn't, he doesn't carry it to the hospital, but, uh, but the good news is, you know, that's, that's there and at the ready and for the asking. And so I do talk to people about their faith initially. And if that's something that they're not interested in talking about, I totally get that too. I'm still Mm -hmm. here and I will still talk to you. And I'm not going to push my faith on you. You know, um, if if you're someone that is uh, going through pancreatic cancer, but I am certainly willing to. Um, and then and I do that, you know, almost on a daily basis now is talk to people that are going through this now and actually just talk to somebody who had her entire pancreas removed. Hmm. I had never heard of that before, but it happened um, literally in the last month. Uh, she's doing really well, but it has spread. And, um, but she is, you know, she's there. Like she, she knows that no matter what, she's good. And to me, that's reward is when somebody can be okay enough through this, that being on, and actually I, I, I went through therapy after the fact because I'm still here. (laughs) I'm probably, maybe I'm still the, I'm the only one because I was so, That's to me, that's the ultimate goal. Um, but I can do that here. You know, we can do that here with people that are here. If, uh, if that's where, you know, you want to be, you can make this place just as much, you know, um, a heaven on earth as, you know, even in the midst of it, you really can, um, find joy and peace through the process and, um, I, I'm, I'm thankful I had that. And that's what I hope to share with other people as they're going through this.
0: It's Powerful what you just said and, and some great stuff there. Um, I hope the audience is listening and, and taking notes. I'll just leave it at that. My last question here. Um, and again, this is uh, no right or wrong and it is loaded. Um, how do you define the word pancreatic cancer? What's your definition?
2: Well, I think it goes back to awakening for me, you know, I mean, I could consider it a curse, but I think that it is probably carrying me into my older years, wiser. Mm. Um, I found love and joy through pancreatic cancer. Sounds not right, but it's true. I wouldn't wish it on anybody but, um, uh, but you know, I would say awakening because I think it is, it set me up for the rest of my life, um, to be the happiest person that I could be, you know, inside and out. And I found some of the best friends, actually one of my best friends, she has 15 children, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, but she, she, that is crazy, right? She lives in Atlanta, but let me tell you something, she and I started that club together, and, uh, I have learned more in the past. Well, it'll be three years in January. I started with that group. Uh, and she's an amazing, her name is Lachelle Adkins. She's an amazing human being. She's called America's super mom. And we, she has helped me with my walks from yeah. Atlanta. She's come here the last two years. We've had the walks and we just got the walks here in Richmond. Yeah. She helped me to do that. Um, so, I mean, she is the best friend I've ever had and I never would have had that, you know, I have, I have some new, I have some new friends, you know, because of, um, and I mean, I'm just, I'm thankful. I don't, I mean, I hate pancreatic cancer, but you know, I, I see, I see the things that have happened since then. And, um, and I can't, you know, I can't be mad.
0: Powerful. Summer, if our audience listening at home or watching someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best place, or maybe there's a, there's a way, whether it's email or social media where someone can connect with you.
2: Uh, Instagram is my best source. And I'm, I kind of pop on there and just check in every once in a while, but I'm at summer underscore times, T H Y M E S summer times. And that's the, that's the best place to reach me. Or you can email me at my first and last name at Gmail summer to at Gmail.
0: And that's D E C O S T E uh uh-huh. at gmail.com. That's it. Summer. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to share your story. It, it, there's so many golden nuggets. As I like to say, that's a term I use often, but you know, um, I appreciate you allowing us to share those because I know it's not easy um, and your your adventure that you went through this journey, this episode wasn't something that anyone ever plans and no one ever wants to go through, but you've handled it with grace and dignity and just such powerful strength. And uh, we really appreciate having the opportunity to share that with our audience and our community.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I wish you the best, Dino, and with Project Purple and everything that's going on. And I just appreciate the time that you've given me to, to share. And if anyone does want to reach out, please do. I just,
0: I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like today's episode, please share this episode and follow the Project Purple Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple podcast. Thanks for listening. And until next time, be safe.